Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Crown's Capital Q4 2020 Results Conference Call. Please note that today's call contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of the applicable Canadian securities legislation. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties, as well as other factors that may cause actual financial results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from estimated future results, performance, or achievements achievements expressed or implied by those forward-looking statements. For a description of the risks associated with Crown's business, please refer to the company's filings for Q4 2020 at CDAR.com. Following the call, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. I will now turn the conference over to Mr. Chris Johnson. Please go ahead. Good morning and welcome to today's call. I'm joined as usual by Mike Overveld, our Chief Financial Officer. 2020 was a challenging year with the global health crisis triggering an operational and financial crisis of the sort we have never seen. Crown and our underlying portfolio companies were pressured in many and new ways. But consistent with our strategy of investing in market leading companies run by talented management teams, the majority of our portfolio companies performed very well through 2020. Our losses incurred due to the pandemic were essentially limited to a single investment our client Pen Equity, who is at the epicenter of industries affected by the pandemic. Pen Equity, as you may recall, is a developer of retail shopping centers and a combination of delayed and canceled leasing activities, reduced property values, and an aggressive lending environment caused Pen Equity to suffer a significant loss in its equity value, which then resulted in Crown incurring a large impairment on our loan. During the fourth quarter, we made good progress on restructuring our loan with Pen Equity and advancing their development assets. We remain optimistic that much of the impairment can be recovered by working through and completing the projects in partnership with Connequity's management team. With our other on-balance sheet investment, Mill Street, you may recall that we received $7 million of proceeds from our $10 million loan in September. We continue to work through the receivership of the assets, which has been hampered by unnecessarily fractious litigation, which has resulted in delays and exceptionally high professional fees. With the year-end results, reduce the carrying value of the remaining investment from $3 million to $2.2 million. Looking at Q4 specifically, we're pleased with the performance of the portfolio. The majority of our companies posted strong results and are trending either at or above our expectations. All expected interest payments were received up to including January 31st, and our risk ratings improved on the whole. In the fourth quarter, we received full repayment from our loan to CCI Wireless and aggregate repayments of $1.3 million from Ferris. For the most part, liquidity at the portfolio companies remain positive, and we're expecting a number of additional prepayments in 2021. We expect our exposure to lending assets will continue to be reduced in 2021, and as the loans repay and capital return. Consistent with our plan to reduce Crown's investment in lending assets, we are not making new loans using Crown's balance sheet capital, and we use proceeds from loan repayments to return capital shareholders and invest in new growth initiatives. As we reposition Crown's balance sheet, we continue to make progress on development of our two primary growth platforms, 
distributed power and network services, both which offer significant long-term opportunity for us as a direct investor, asset manager, and a meaningful owner in the development partners. During 2020, we added three new operating partners in our power fund and advanced construction of multiple projects, increasing the total number of projects in development or in operation to 11 at year end. During the fourth quarter specifically, two projects commenced operation and construction was completed on a third project that went into service last month. This brings total operating projects in the fund to four with cumulative operating capacity of eight megawatts. Seven additional projects, including four projects that were substantially completed last year but were delayed due to government interventions, are anticipated to commence in the next quarter. With the bulk of the 20, with the bulk of the COVID-19 related delays behind us, we're getting close to having all of the committed projects read operating status and generating cash flow. In our network services business, our focus was integrating Galaxy Broadband into our platform following the acquisition of this business in late Q3 2020. Galaxy has an exceptional reputation in its marketplace, as well as a solid base of recurring revenue, primarily from large enterprise customers. In the first full quarter following acquisition, Galaxy contributed a pre-tax operating profit of 400000 and the business has seen revenue and profitability accelerate. In aggregate, we generate network services revenue of $12.1 million in 2020. We continue to evaluate acquisition opportunities like Galaxy, where we can add new, cap, new capabilities, recurring revenue, and customers with minimal capital outlay. COVID-19 has only highlighted the need for better network connectivity, and we have an even stronger pipeline to address the opportunities in private enterprise, government entities, and communities in underserviced areas. With that, I'll turn the call over to Mike to review our financials. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh, good morning, everyone on the line. Um, full filings are on CEDAR on the website. Uh, so I'll keep the comments here uh, pretty brief, as usual, and uh, focused on Q4. Uh, total revenue in the quarter increased to $12.6 million, uh, from $10.3 million uh, in Q4 of last year. Interest revenue, the biggest component of total revenue at $7 million, uh, was about $0.8 million lower year over year and $0.6 million lower quarter over quarter. Um, interest attributable to shareholders was down by about $0.2 million quarter over quarter. Uh, the decrease uh, was attributable uh, pretty much entirely to a reversal of some of the interest we'd previously accrued in respect to the source uh, uh, loan or bonds uh, in connection with the restructuring of that loan on uh, December 30th. Uh, fees and other income remain fairly consistent towards the lower end of our historical range of $0.4 million in Q4. And that's normal for a period like this quarter when transaction activity was low. Uh, not included in Q4 fee revenue was a uh, $0.3 million fee on one of our amortized cost loans uh, that will be recognized over time in accordance with IFRS 9. As always, there are a lot of moving parts contributing to our net gains losses on investments, including realized and unrealized amounts. Uh, but in aggregate, the net gain was unremarkable at $152,000 in Q4. Uh, the net amount attributable to shareholders was a bit lower at a loss of $234,000 uh, and that's due to the fact that um, the unrealized amount included an unrealized loss in the Mill Street loan in Q4 which is fully attributable uh, to uh, shareholders. Network services revenue more than doubled year over year to $5.7 million in Q4. Uh, as that now includes the revenues of Galaxy, which was acquired in late Q3 of 2020, in addition to those of YRIE. Uh, as with YRIE, we report all of Galaxy's revenues in the network services revenue line, 
and its costs are included in various expense categories. Uh, there wasn't anything remarkable to comment on regarding the operating expense line in Q4. Um, salary expense increased due to the inclusion of Galaxy, uh, which was partially offset by the inclusion of a lower than usual staff bonus accrual. Uh, the addition of Galaxy also impacted the uh, G&A and uh, depreciation expense lines uh, if you're looking at it quarter over quarter or year over year. And uh, professional, expense, uh, professional fees did remain a little bit higher than usual in Q4 as uh, Chris referred to. Uh, Share-based comp expense was 244000 in Q4. That relates largely to movement in the Crown share price, uh, which uh, should be the primary influence of that line going forward. We'll note that all remaining RSUs vested in January of this year and all remaining performance share units expired without vesting in January, such that uh, beginning in Q1, there will uh, no longer be any RSUs or PSUs being amortized into that share-based comp expense line. The provision for credit losses of $0.3 million was relatively low compared with $11.2 million. Uh, in Q3, and the full-year provision of $15.8 million for 2020, which, as you'll recall, was primarily due to a $15.1 million increase in the uh, Pan Equity uh, loan loss allowance uh, this year. Uh, there were a few items to note in Q4 regarding YRIE, for which we completed uh, uh, a restructuring Q4 and uh, recorded impairment charges of $1.1 million and point. $9 million in relation to the carrying value of its network services, contracts, and equipment, respectively. Um, we are uh, repositioning that business uh, really for its assets to be carried in a fund-like structure. Uh, we've done some restructuring to the uh, organization of that, of that YRIE group of companies, uh, and uh, at this point, we're no longer uh, really ascribing value or anticipating uh, that there will be value coming from the uh, the, uh, the operating aspect of, of YRIE as pertains to new contracts. So really, we're looking at those assets, uh, again, positioning those for entry into a fund environment. Uh, the charges we took in Q4 relate primarily to uh, the termination of some of those contracts and a reevaluation of our expectation of recoverable value associated with the remaining contracts. Uh, net of those non-cash charges and depreciation expense, of course, YRIE, uh, as it has been doing, contributed uh, a positive uh, amount to operating earnings in the quarter. So for Q4, we reported a net loss of $2.4 million, uh, which includes uh, $1.4 million of depreciation related to the telecom businesses and uh, $2 million in non-cash impairment charges related to that restructuring of YRIE, as mentioned. Uh, in the fourth quarter, adjusted funds from operations was positive $3 million, or $0.32 cents per share, compared with $3.6 million, or $0.38 cents per share in Q4 of last year. Uh, just quickly on the balance sheet, the total assets increased from about $300 million a year in 2019 to $322.5 million. It's due mainly to the addition of investments in uh, distributed power equipment under development uh, to a higher cash balance. Uh, we exited the year with cash and cash equivalents on a consolidated basis of just over $19 million. It compares with uh, $8.4 million at the end of last year. Uh, total equity decreased uh, to $81.3 million, or $8.98 per basic share, uh, mainly reflecting the net loss in 2020. 
well as dividends paid to shareholders earlier in the year and uh, share repurchases. We would note we were more active with the NCIB in 2020 as we acquired and cancelled about 376,000 shares. Uh, returning capital to shareholders, of course, remains a strategic priority, as Chris has mentioned. Uh, and I will turn it back to Chris for some closing comments. Great, and thanks, Mike. As we look forward to 2021, uh, I'm expecting an acceleration of our strategic repositioning, including growth of new revenue streams. We appreciate your support as we navigate this transition period. Our team is guided by the belief that by executing the strategy, we'll emerge a more capital-efficient, diversified finance platform with a larger market opportunity and higher earnings power. We look forward to updating you in the coming months. So with that, I'll open up to questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. You will hear a pre-tune prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Your first question comes from Chris Murray from ATB Capital. Chris, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Good morning, folks. Um, I guess my first question is just um, maybe, you know, spending a little more time around um, Penn Equity and, and how you guys are working through uh, the development on that um, and, you know, your expectations on maybe timelines or any updates you can provide there in terms of being able to recover on those assets. Okay. Um, I think we've told you in the past, or told that show in the past, that we have uh, Penn Equity uh, following the really big hits, I end up with three principal properties, um, and uh, they're at various different stages. You know, one of them is is late stage, um, just I would say two phases. One 95% complete, the other one uh, is, is is sort of a phase one B type of thing, where it's just ready to go and just doing some leasing activity now to be constructed and completed. That one we're feeling pretty uh, clear on in terms of how we just wind that out, and that's the vast majority of the carrying value we have right now. Uh, the second project um, is a uh, residential piece of land uh, in Barrie, and that's a uh, um, it's it's adjacent to their um, a large commercial development there that they lost through um, receivership last year, uh, but they retained the uh, residential piece of land that wasn't attached, associated with it necessarily. Um, we, it, it, it's a pretty good piece of uh, property and uh, we're going through the process right now of adding uh, additional density and, uh, 
and then we look to figure out how to complete the development. So as as we go through development, um, uh, we're, we're we're seeing some real positive signals that that that, that property is going to be worth a lot more uh, in the future. Um, and there was I think it's fairly widely known that real estate values across uh, North America went up, but certainly outside of the GTA uh, values have gone up quite significantly. So we're feeling good about that one. We're carrying it still at basic land value, so there's a lot of room for upside uh, growth on that as we move it through. Uh, and the last one, um, which I would have said maybe 12 months ago, uh, was the real jewel in the crown for them is a, it's a large commercial development that's at the just at the start uh, of, of development. Um, I think the question is at the very start. They, it's at the point where it's just about to start construction, and they lost a couple of the major uh, um, uh, customers that were going to take on land or be a, a tenant, and uh, and that completely stabilized the property. Uh, we've we've written that down a nil. Uh, so that's uh, obviously there's only upside, no more downside left in that one. But uh, Penac, we still owns half of that property, and uh, we we think it's you know that that they will earn um, they'll earn their way back into it and there'll be value. But at this moment, uh, just given where the debt's at right now and the property's at, we just don't feel comfortable carrying any carrying value, but uh, our our view is over the next three to four years they'll work through that project and they'll be they'll likely be significant value recovered there. Uh, so the overall time frame, Chris, is some of the things will be starting to finish in the next. Well, some have already been finished. Like there's a it's an ongoing uh, process, but we'll start seeing some recovery of capital in the next six to twelve months, and then the longest cash flows might be uh, as much as three to four years. Okay, well, that's great. Um... You know, next question, just thinking about the power fund. Um, so, as I said, you, you've got two um, units that came up, um, you know, uh, late last year. One, as I think you said, uh, one last month. Um, so, next question, you did mention seven, the seven additional projects that are in development right now. Um, but you did also mention that there were some issues around government intervention. So, I guess two parts to this question. One, um, you know, what's your thought on pacing on those seven being Completed. Um, and can you just maybe elaborate a little bit on what kind of interventions you're having? Is that uh, is that a permitting problem? Is that something uh, regulatory, or, or or just any more clarification would be helpful? Sure. Um, well, on the, the, things are moving now. Uh, a lot of the projects, like with COVID shutdowns last year, like everything stopped for a period of time, and then certain projects were delayed longer, uh, like particularly some of the residential condo buildings. Uh, where access was uh, restricted, um, like those, those got delayed a little longer than some of the commercial projects that sit on the outside of a factory that maybe kept operating through all this. Uh, so our, our view is all projects of those being construction will be completed by the end of uh, Q2. Possibly it might drag a bit, but but there's no right now everything's scheduled to be operating by the end of Q2. Um, the, uh, the the big delay, the big government intervention last year was the uh, Ministry of Energy affected the global adjustment rates applicable to Class A users in Ontario, and uh, essentially, I, I think it was policy aimed at not penalizing um, companies that restarted and the way the global adjustments allocate amongst uh, Class A users. Um, it could have uh, kind of punished those who were operating versus those who left their plants idle. So in a sort of a COVID environment, the government took an, took an initiative to, 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 to freeze rates 
at 2019 levels. And that just had the impact of, well, if you're not going to get any benefit out of mitigating global adjustment, you don't run. So we're not expecting those to be covered again this year. We thought that was just an exceptional measure. There's probably even, uh, you know, a little kind of uh, unnecessary, I would think, with hindsight. Um, but uh, yes, we're not expecting that to happen again. Okay, no, that's helpful. Um, and then just, just maybe, um, Mike, just with the power fund now, I guess, starting to generate rental revenue, how should we be thinking about that flowing through the income statement? Will there be a separate uh, rental line or will it just be like kind of an equity pickup over time? How, how do we think about that? Um, yeah, as these are converted to uh, leases, uh, we have, uh, we'll have interest income. So the lease payments will be coming uh, through the fund. Uh, and as, as you imagine, the lease payment is going to have uh, an element of return of capital plus the interest income. And that interest income uh, will just be included as part of, and it is being included as part of that interest income line that you're seeing um, in the financials. As it, it becomes a more material item, um, I guess, you know, I, I would anticipate that we would be enhancing the disclosures to break more information out in respect to the power fund. But at this, uh, until now, um, those revenues, obviously, uh, with, with very few projects having contributed to past quarters, uh, on the interest side, um, haven't been uh, significant enough to break out. Fair enough. Um, and then my last question is just on the telecom business. So I guess a couple things here. I mean, it certainly sounds from your commentary you're you're looking to restructure it. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to understand is on a run rate basis. You know, as you did notice or note, sorry, the uh, you know the revenue certainly stepped up uh, year over year, um, but you're still generating. You know, call it net. Losses. I mean, positive on the operating line, but you do have the depreciation that takes you kind of negative. How do we think about that business evolving over the rest of the year? Um, and and can you just maybe elaborate a little bit on on, on your comment where you're you're moving into a fund, but you're also starting to wind some of it down? I just just if you can kind of square those comments, that would be appreciated. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, maybe I should just give a more fulsome. Description. I, I won't, won't even try and maybe respond because I, I don't think we're necessarily quote unquote restructuring it as much as just moving it forward. Um, like we, we, the first platform was YRIE and we took it on um, really through an earnout formula, uh, you know, rolling out of our income streaming arrangement we had and as a sort of a you know, alternative loan structure. And, uh, and and their assets principally are um, contracts with carriers that have underlying contracts with uh, large, typically government uh, users. And and those, we would look, when we were, as a lender, we looked at those as financial contracts. That you have a, a, a five-year commitment, there's a present value put on that, and, and that's, that's what we see. Um, there is also a company, and we took it on, we had to go through all the accounting necessary to take on the company uh, as well. That's all of a sudden it got integrated with us, and that's one of the joys of accounting. That uh, you know, even though we kind of still looked at it as an investment, it became fully consolidated into uh, our our books. And and we're getting to the point where we're seeing a lot of growth in telecom platform, and we're prepping it for third-party investment. Um, we're starting to find we're trying to divide the assets, which goes into a fund environment, which should just stay as as equity investments, and and really, like 
like things in Wiring specifically, the contract should go into the fund and the development company should stay as crown. And uh, so we own 100% of Wiring development company and today we have 100% of the contracts, but over time we'll have less than 100% of the contracts. So when we do the present value and all that uh, exercise to put it into a fund environment, you end up with, with sort of splitting the, the piece. So you have one set of assets in the fund, which we would say, yeah, that's what I'm back to value is investments again. And the rest of the development company, but the development company, because it's 100% of us, just gets lost in, in Crown's world now. So like, I would say it's worth something. It's worth something, you know, on the basis it can generate cash flow for us. Um, but from an accounting sense, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's nilled out. Um, and that's the, uh, that, that's the for, I think, first thing you're seeing going to the numbers. Um, the the second thing is we're, we're adding to the developer platform. So by acquiring um, Galaxy, um, we, we, we're now still figuring out if and their contractual income and assets should be put in the fund environment or just you know what we have today remains the development coming again. They're profitable and making earnings for us. Uh, meet meet you know and essentially Wire and Galaxy together are, are two companies servicing the connectivity uh, challenges. Um, they, 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 they're experts in servicing remote rural locations and, and a significant uh, stepping off point to doing other things in the space. So now we've started adding in um, certain just community, open network community developments. Uh, we incorporated a company called Community Network Partners. We're bidding on and working through a variety of projects using the shared uh, skill set of our connectivity partners to launch uh, these community projects. And again, that, that, that's, that'll be done in a similar way where the asset, the actual capital investment will be made in the fund. The fund would love to own 20-year infrastructure. Um, that's essentially utility infrastructure. And then the development companies will stay on the side and be profitable. So what then is gonna happen is, is ultimately we're gonna end up with investments in funds, you know, similar to just any, any of our clients or, you know, have an investment in a fund, and then we're going to have these ownership interests in the development companies. And, and the, this is where it gets frustrating is that the owners of the, our ownership interests in development companies are never really going to be on our balance sheet for what they're worth because they're going to be part of Crown. Like we can have a company that we created for zero that maybe generates even say $10 million EBITDA. It's going to be, you know, my understanding is we can't go and value that like an investment. That just becomes part of our, our Crown value. So that, that's part of this transition we're going through as we reduce the balance sheet intensity, return you know, capital as needed, and re recycle it into these newer opportunities where we can just drive much greater earnings for the given dollar capital. Okay, that's helpful. I'll turn over the line and get back into you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a final reminder, should you have any questions, please press star 1. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Okay. Well, absolutely. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, this morning. And uh, and as always, please uh, reach out to us uh, between these calls if you'd like to chat. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.